we made this thing public um, until now, um, there's just been some things that God's been sharing with us, dealing with us, things that I always knew, but I didn't really know. You know what I'm saying, right? Like you read the scriptures and you're like, oh, that's good. That's cool. That's a nice promise. And then you're going through something. You're like, I need that. Where is it at right now? Like, why is that not, a, why is that not seem like a reality in my life right now? So, so we're going to talk through that um, this morning. But uh, we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 17. We're going to read our, our scripture, our text. And then we're going to pray. Um, we got a great night. Thank you, Jordan. We got a great night tonight. Volunteer appreciation helps ministry. How many of you guys are coming? Come on. Free food. How many coming just for the free food? Come on, let me see your hands. Come on, that's what I'm talking about right there. Yep, two hands up. We're going to read, uh, we're gonna read this, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to just jump right into this thing. First Samuel 17, going to read a familiar portion of Scripture uh, this morning. It's the story of David and three of you are familiar with that story. Come on, even if you're new to church, man, this is your very first time ever. Um, uh, we're, we're kind of familiar with the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to pick up right at the beginning of the conversation that this young man David has with the great and mighty King Saul. And he approaches the King Saul, and he says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Saul replies, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth, but David persisted. Come on, you need persistence in your faith. He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue that lamb from its mouth. How many know this, that David would just be like Chad Steele, would he not? <laughs> like, I could just picture Chad just taking, like, there's a lion, he's coming after Pastor Jordan, give me my club, you know. <laughs> he says, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've done this both to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me, listen to this, from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consents. He says, all right, go ahead, but may the Lord be with you. Can't you just picture the way that Saul probably said this? He's like, all right, go ahead. Man, you better hope the Lord's with you, Right? Well, I want to I want to share this morning. I've got five points I want to share with you uh, from a message entitled "I Will Fight." I will fight. I really think this message applies to everybody in here, every age, um, every background, uh, no matter where you're at. Um, I really think that the Lord wants to speak something to you this morning. And uh, let's pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you again for the opportunity that we have to come together as a family. God, you are so good and so amazing um, that you'd bring people of all races and ages and all together, and you say, man, that's, that's my people right there. That's my family right there. God, we just ask that you'd strengthen us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd challenge us, that you'd equip us this morning through the power of your spirit, God, that you'd do something new in our lives. And Father, we just ask as the Cleveland Cavaliers play the Indiana Pacers today in game seven, God, that your will would be done and that Cleveland would win again. God, we know that you'll do it again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, it was about, a, about 13 years ago now, um, I graduated from, from Bible college, and it seems crazy that it's been 13 years. Just side note, um, I was at a church two weeks ago, and 
um, somebody asked me how old I was, and I, and I said, well, how old do you think I am? And, and, uh, and this young individual said, uh, I'm probably about 36, 37, and uh, I said, I'm 33. And it was literally the first time in my entire life that somebody thought I was older than I actually am. I'm like, my kids are making me look much older than I should look. Um, but it's been 13 years now that I graduated uh, from Bible college, and I had uh, two roommates my, my final year, my senior year, um, who are still to this day some of my best friends, um, Noah and Rob. And, and Noah just planted a church in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, a phenomenal church called King's Church. And then my friend Rob uh, hails from the great nation of England, and, uh, and he still thinks the queen is like the greatest thing in the world. Um, but, but Rob is one of those friends, and how many of we, we all have those friends who tends to take things a little bit too far. You know what I'm talking about? Like, takes the joke a little bit too far. Like, you're like, you can't say that, Rob. Like, you know what I'm talking Like, one of those guys, like the individual at, the, at, your, at your place of employment, and you're like, that's not really kosher. Like, um, or takes the practical joke just a little bit too far. Like, he's that guy. And by the time our senior year rolls around, we, we are constantly playing jokes on each other. Like, we're just classic college roommates, classic boys. Like, we did not get the deposit back on our apartment. Like, that thing was destroyed. And, and one of the things that we would do regularly, it was kind of one of the, the more trivial things that we, would, that we would do to each other, is, is to take ice-cold water, and we would dump it over, over the shower curtain, right? Like, it's 6.30 in the morning, and whoever was the first individual to get in the shower was also going to be the one who got the water dumped on them. So we would delay the inevitable. Like, we would try not to, there was one of two options, either just wait until the last minute to get in the shower or get up super early before the other two guys were awake to get in the shower. Like, uh, most of us would usually just delay, right? So, so, so this particular morning, I'm like, fine, I'll go in first. And I just, I just kind of conceded from the beginning. Even before I went in the shower, we are, there's three days left in the school year, like three days before final exams. So I'm like, hey, before we even get in, hey, fellas, just want to let you know, I'm going to get in. Go ahead, do what you're going to do, right? I get in the shower. I hear the door open like two minutes after I get in. They're like laughing. They're like chuckling. I'm like, guys, it's not even a surprise. Like, this isn't even funny. Like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, all right, go ahead. They do it. I'm like, ah, ah, you know, gets me, okay? They leave. I'm like, okay, good. Now I can just take a nice shower. I can wake up and enjoy. Come on, that morning shower, that's like, one of the, that's like a gift from God right there. So I'm there. You know, two minutes later, I hear the door open. We have this, this old apartment. It's like, and I knew, I knew. We have no lock on these doors, right? Like, we busted the lock, like, the first week we were in there. So I knew what's to come again. And, and, and I'm like, oh, guys, listen. I said, hey, once was enough. Once was, I gave you one. I'm not giving you two. They're, like, laughing. Like, I'm like, guys, it's not funny. I'm serious. Listen, I'm telling you, I peek my, peek my head out. I'm telling you, you do it again. You're going to pay this time. They're like, <laughs> they're like laughing. And I hear them. I hear Rob asking Noah, like, should I do it? Should I do it? And Noah's like, yeah, 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 do it, do it, do it, do it. And so sure enough, they, they dumped this ice cold water over the shower again. And I, I knew, we knew, we knew. The thing in our apartment was you've got to get them back worse than what they got you or they're just going to keep getting you. I told you you can do it once, but not twice. So they dump it again. I jump out of the shower. I just start running after my friend Rob. I'm running through our apartment. I corner him in the kitchen by the, by the, by the, the microwaves on one side, the ovens on the other. 
And, and I'm just, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I, I haven't thought through this yet, right? Rob, though, he proceeds to grab a can of Pam. Cooking spray? Pam? Oh, he gets worse. He opens the drawer, grabs the lighter. He proceeds to blow torch in my direction. Like, people from England are weird, man. Like, we... He blow torches in my direction. Honest to God, like, I, you can't make this stuff up. I'm running, I'm retreating as fast as I jumped out of the shower. I'm running back to my bedroom. I lock the door on my room. Uh, the doors all, none of them had locks, but on, on my bedroom door, I put one of those, like, those things that you like, you know what I'm saying? That's partially why we didn't get our deposit back, because we just started drilling things into walls to, like, I lock the door, and I start to yell, I'm like, Rob, put the Pam down. They're like laughing hysterically. I'm like, what do you do? You guys are going to burn the whole building down. Like, what are you doing? You know? It's funny, though, how, how quickly we can go from like zero to 60, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Someone says something to your kids. And you're like, oh, no, you did not. <laughs> right? Like, we can, I mean, we can just rev it up so quickly. But at the same time, man, we can talk a good talk. But then when we're faced with the reality of a fight, we can back off just as quickly as we thought we were going to rev that thing up. I love what, I love what the Apostle Paul, this, this, this great man of God, you know, if you're newer to church, Paul is, is just one of the heroes of our faith. What about two-thirds of the New Testament? He was writing to his young protege in the faith, Timothy. Timothy. Timothy's um, this, this young pastor. He's kind of this up-and-coming uh, disciple of Paul's. And he, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, well, you've heard this before, it says, Fight, the, fight the, the good fight of the true faith. Fight the good fight of the true faith. Paul was admonishing Timothy, saying, hey, there, there's going to be some fights, Timothy. And, and, and some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But, but, but I want you to fight the, the true fight, the good fight, the ones that apply to our faith, the ones that are true the core of who we are and who God's called you to be. I want you to fight those. I want you to stand your ground. I want you to face whatever enemy and whatever giant comes your way. Because in all of our lives, there are going to be fights, right? There's going to be giants. There's going to be battles that we have to face. For all of us, none of us are exempt. None of us are going to be void of opportunities, maybe even long periods or seasons where we're going to have to fight. And maybe we got to fight for our marriage. You started in this thing with the idea, with the dream that this was going to be healthy, this was going to be amazing, this was going to be beautiful. 20 years down the road, it hasn't turned into what you thought it was going to be, and you've given up on the fight. You have to fight for your kids, man. You, you, your kids are running from God. You're sowing these seeds of prayer, and eventually you just feel like, you know, what, what, what's the harm? Let's just let them go. Just sow their wild oats. Just kind of do their thing. No, you've got to stand your ground and fight for your kids. Come on, after a while, there could be things going on in our bodies for such a long period of time that we begin to, we begin to adopt, adapt rather our theology to our conditions rather than our condition to our theology. We've got to learn to stand up and fight no matter how long those battles or those fights may last. Come on, none of us are exempt from having to fight. For some of us, there's a dream that God's laid on your heart. There's a hope, there's a prayer that you've been praying. There's a call that you felt when you were 20 years old. And decades have passed and you've given up because some of the battles that have come your way in order to get to that promised victory are requiring a fight that you're not willing to face. What is that fight in your life? 
Because standing between you and God's promise is always a giant. Is always a giant. Because I think in the supernatural world, the realm that is more real than even our, our natural realm, it's something that right now I'm teaching my nine-year-old daughter. She's got so many questions about heaven. And I'm explaining to her, I said, baby, I said, what we're living in right now is temporary. Who we are, what you see in the mirror, that's not eternal. What is eternal is more real than what is temporary. Because this moment of existence in our lives right now is just a fleeting pleasure, just a fleeting moment, right? Like we understand this to be true. And yet at the same time, sometimes in our own lives, we, we feel like what's happening right now, this is forever. This is never going to go away. This is how it's always going to be. And yet the reality, <coughs> yet the reality is that, that these fights, these, these, these moments, these, these, we don't see beneath the surface that in the supernatural world, in the, in the spiritual realm, if we could see with, our eye, with, the, with, the, with the eyes of the Spirit, the promised victory that God has for us and where we currently are, there's a giant standing in the middle. Just like in, in David's case in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have on literally, I mean, naturally speaking, the way that this, whether this battle would have been taking place between the Israelites and the Philistines, there is a, there's a valley, there's a ravine in between where the nation of Israel was positioned and its army and where the Philistine army is positioned. And in the middle of that valley, in the middle of that ravine, is a giant. His name's Goliath. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 10, we see Goliath shows up on the scene for the very first time, for the very first day. And he stands there and he begins to taunt the nation of Israel. And he says, I divide the, the armies of Israel today. And listen to this. And he says, send me a man who will fight. Send me someone who will engage in battle. For 40 days, this, this giant, this behemoth of a man, begins to taunt the armies of Israel. Day after day after day, he approaches the armies and he says, send me a man who will fight. On the 40th day, David shows up on the scene. Now David shows up, he's just this young shepherd boy. And come on, you're familiar with the story. And, and he's just delivering food to his three oldest brothers. His father, Jesse, said, go deliver these cheese, these, these crackers, this number four Long John Silver meal. Give this to your brother. Give it, send back a report. Let me know how they're doing. David's just being faithful. David's just doing what he knows to do. How many of you know that oftentimes in the, the, or, the most ordinary of moments, the most mundane of, of, of opportunities, most, most, most insignificant of what we seem like, the most insignificant of seasons is when we're, when we're presented with the greatest battles, with the greatest opportunities. David shows up on that 40th day, and he just happened to show up when, when Goliath came out and began to taunt the, the nation. And David's looking, and he begins to ask questions. Hey, who is this guy? What's this all about? And they begin to describe for him. His brothers say, well, look, whoever fights that man, if they win, then the whole, whole nation wins. Everybody will just kind of give up. But if, but if he wins, then their whole nation wins, and we all have to just give up. And David says, well, who's going to fight? Man, like, not, none of us, David. Like, the guy's huge. Well, I'll fight. What are you talking about? You're going to fight? Yeah, I'll fight. Where's your weapon, David? He goes, what? Well, I got cheese and crackers? Like, what, are you going to try to, like, smooth talk him, David? Like, you're going to try to convince him to give up with some cheese and crackers? Like, what's going on? Here, David says, no, no, I, I, I want to I wanna fight. Like, I think I, can, I think I can do this. 
Pay attention to this real quick. David did not choose his fight, but David did choose to fight. David did not choose his battle, but David did choose to engage in his battle. See, in our own lives, we don't choose the giants that come our way or the giants that begin to taunt us. We do choose whether or not we're going to face that giant head on. There's so many Christians who are mad at God because they don't like the battle that's being presented to them. You didn't choose your family. You didn't choose the school that you go to. You didn't choose to get laid off at your job. You didn't choose that your loved one would pass away before you. You didn't choose the disadvantage that you have physically, mentally. You didn't choose. But what you do get to choose is whether or not you're going to, you're going to face that thing head on. I think too often we live paralyzed by our battles because we don't like our battles. Or because we see our battle, we think that's thing's too difficult. How could I ever? That, that seems impossible. I don't know that either. Is that really? No. That's, and so we just stand still. Several years ago, <coughs> about six years ago, I was going to a Cleveland Indians game, and they were playing the Philadelphia Phillies. And I am from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, so I'm actually all things Philly sports fan. Like, I adopted Cleveland as my second favorite sports franchise, city, whatever you want to call it. But really, I love all things Philly sports. So the Sixers are actually – so if the Cavs lose tonight, I'm like, I don't really care because the Sixers are really good right now. <laughs> and, and, and so when Indiana plays the Sixers, we'll sweep them. But you guys aren't going to give to Ethos Church anymore, are you? <laughs> no, but we, um, we, uh, we're, we're going to this game, and there's about 12 of us who are going. So we have three different vehicles and – I'm driving up with one of my friends in, in his Jeep, and, and there's four of us in this, in this Jeep, and we got there late, we got stuck in some traffic, so the rest of our friends were already at, at their seats. Now, I'm the only Philly fan of all of my friends, so we're walking into this stadium in Cleveland, I've got my Phillies hat on, i got my Philly shirt on, and now you, you, you know me at least well enough to know, like, I'm not a quiet person, like, this is about as chill as you're ever going to see me, just because my allergies are, like, Frustrate me. I know that if I raise my voice too loud, I'm going to get into like a coughing fit and it's going to not be pretty. But so, so, so like I'm pretty obnoxious at times. And um, which is why my wife is so amazing because she's the exact opposite of me. So people who don't like me love my wife and they just love us because of my wife. But, but, but we're walking to the stadium and, and there's this group of, of Indians fans across the street. We're waiting for the street light to turn green so we can cross over, and, and these guys, about 30, 40 of them, start to yell some things at me, the only Philly fan around, and, and, and of course, like, I'm not one to back down from a fight unless it's, unless it's 40 to 1, you know, <laughs> then I'm like, you guys win, so, so they're yelling some things, and I mean, you know, sports environments can get pretty crude, so, so, so I, I turn my hat around to kind of hide the emblem, I'm, I cross my arms to kind of, kind of, you know, not reveal the logo, and I'm, I'm walking like this, I'm waving at the, and I don't say anything, and my friend's just kind of looking at me like, Jordan, what are you going to do? And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do, like, like, I'm just going to hide right now, and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with a friend of mine, his name's Josh. Now, now Josh, uh, he was drafted in the third round by the Cincinnati Reds. He's, uh, he's a, an amazing athlete, like, uh, just epic proportion, um, He's six foot two, about 225 pounds, just, just a stacked individual as well. In fact, he got a full scholarship to play football outside linebacker for the University of Army. 
okay, and drafted in the third round by Cincinnati. So he's, he's the real deal. He did two stints overseas in the Army. Uh, it's just he, he's one of those CrossFit guys. You're kind of familiar with CrossFit, so exercise routine. I mean, he's just super into it. Like, he's that guy. Like, Josh is that guy. And, and, and at one point in our relationship, Josh had actually told me that he was trained within the first three seconds of meeting any individual, he would have a plan on how to kill him. I remember asking Josh, hey, so what was your plan? <laughs> and and this, is, this is actually what he told me, I, I promise. He, he, goes, uh, he goes, I'm not allowed to tell you. I'm like, okay, okay, let's just, I'm always going to be on your good side, buddy. Like, I will always pick up the check, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so I'm with Josh, and we're at the corner here of this street, and, and I'm kind of hiding my, my Phillies apparel, and and I look over at him and I say, hey, Josh, just kind of jokingly, I say, you know, if we got, if we, if we kind of got engaged here, if we, if we started to get into a fight, I said, would you have my back? And without hesitation, Josh goes, absolutely. I'll tell you what, man, something changed in that moment. I was like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, my, my whole count has changed. I, this, is, this, is the tr- this is a true story. I, I started going, I go, Phillies. Philadelphia, you know, like, I'm sorry, like, I am now taunting the enemy right now, like, everything changed, but you know what changed? My advantage in that moment did not change. What changed was my awareness of my advantage in that moment. I think so often in our lives, in the battles that we face, we don't need a greater advantage. We just need to be aware of the advantage that we already have. I want to just give you five quick things over the next 10 minutes of how to increase our awareness and win the fights that come our way. The first thing I want to give you is you need a ridiculous reality. When David shows up to King Saul, he tells the king, the king who is a warrior by trade, like Saul is, that's how he got his job because he's so good at battle. David has never fought in a real battle before. And the audacity of this young boy to tell this king in this moment, put yourself in the position of the king. <clears throat> David says, don't worry, Saul. I'll fight. You would have said the same thing that the king would have said. Don't be ridiculous. How are you going to fight? You're just a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. Yeah, I'm reading this a few months back, and I realized I think if, if I'm not engaged in some battles where people around me are thinking, don't be ridiculous, Jordan. That could never happen. That dream's too big. That's, that's impossible. I don't know that you could ever. I can't imagine. Don't be ridiculous. You need a ridiculous reality. But then I can also say, you need friends in your life who are don't worry friends. I've got one particular friend in my life. We were talking about him last night with some friends. Uh, his name's Chris, and Chris is that friend in my life who, whenever I'm going through something, if I'm just kind of venting to Chris, at the end of our conversation, I'm telling you every single time, 100% of the time, I was just on the phone with him two weeks ago, and I'm kind of sharing some of the things that, some of the battles that we're facing right now, and Chris interrupts me before I'm even done. He says, Jordan, he says, stop. He said, I, I heard all I need to hear. I said, I got all the information I need. Let's pray right now. And on the phone, I'm telling you, Chris prayed a prayer, and I, I felt the power of God come over the phone right there. He's that, he's that friend. There's been times where I would be with, 
with Chris at his home or he'd be at my home and we'd be talking about something and Chris would just tell me, he'll say, let's get down right now, get on our knees right now, we're gonna pray, he'll grab my hand and we just pray. And he said, don't you worry about it, Jordan. He said, God's got this whole thing. He's playing this thing before you ever even imagined this dream would come to pass. He knew this dream, he knew this call, he had this idea. Come on, you need friends. And listen to me, you're either a don't worry friend or a don't be ridiculous friend. But you're never very ever really both. Come on, we need more friends in our lives who are don't worry friends, friends that remind us that God is bigger than our problem, that God is bigger than our giant, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The second thing that you need is you need a miracle memory. We've heard this one before. But as David engages in this conversation with the king, as he begins to try to convince and persist that he is the one who should fight this giant, he goes back to some of the things that God had taken him through previously. He says, you know what, you know what, Saul? He said, my God, my God would deliver me from that lion and that bear. In fact, whenever a lion or a bear would come my way and try to attack my father's sheep, I would take that club or I would take that lion by the jaw and I'd club that thing to death. And my God would deliver me from those moments. He had a miracle memory. You know, you either have a miracle memory or a victim mentality. So often in our lives, so often in my own life, I think, well, God, why is this happening? I thought this was going to be a little bit easier. I thought things were going to kind of fall into place a little bit quicker, a little bit sooner, a little bit, a little bit with a little bit less frustration. God, why is this? Several about, about a year ago, my, my daughter was was uh, she 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 woke up one morning. She had this, this just a small rash on her arm, and we didn't think too much of it. We kind of put some some ointment on it and assumed it would go away overnight. The next morning. Woke up and the rash got bigger. In fact, it, it spread to different parts of her body all down the backs of both of her legs and a little bit on her shoulders. And so we called the doctors the next day and we go into the pediatrician. And the, the pediatrician says she has a staph infection, but we caught it early enough. She's going to be okay. <coughs> Put her on some antibiotics and some other creams and things. And said, but well, you need to keep her quarantined for about two weeks. Got to keep her away from your son. But how many, come on, it is hard to keep a two-year-old away from from anything, not to mention his best friend. So, so and my, my daughter, she's such a sweetheart. I mean, she literally is just, she, she loves Jesus so much. We're still working on Judah, but she is amazing. And, um, and, and so she, she just loves to play with her little brother. And, and so we had to keep her in her room, keep everything sanitized. I mean, my wife, we used so much sanitation products over our house in that time. Like, we spent so much money just on, on, on that. Like, it was crazy. And so two weeks go by, she seems to be good. About two months later, this thing comes up again. We're like, oh, this is weird. Call the doctor. The doctor says it's not unusual. Sometimes it can come back. Um, the strand kind of stays in the body. Long story short, we go through the whole process again. Two weeks of trying to keep your daughter quarantined. Not a huge deal. Her health is fine. She's in, but it's more just that it's just a challenge, kind of just a frustration, you know, um, just trying to keep your daughter quarantined. It's the middle of the summer, by the way, as well. So, you know, like she can't go outside and play because they said the sun would, would cause it to spread more. And so we're like, man, it's just a challenge. Okay, so, so about four months go by. I'm in Canada. Uh, I'm on a trip similar to this. And, and, and my wife calls and she says, says George, says, you're not going to believe it. She says, but, but Sophie, the, the, the rash came back. She says, it's really bad. She says, it's all over. She said, it went up her neck. I said, are you kidding me? She said, call the doctor. Find out what we need to do. We go through the whole scenario again. Courtney, she's calling me. She says, baby, she says, I don't understand. This is the third time in the last six months. Why, why is this happening? What is going on? Like we have prayed. We've, we've got other people to agree in prayer with us. What is going on? 
why, why would God even allow this? Like, this doesn't even make sense. And I said, you know what, baby? I said, I, I have no idea. I have no clue. We, we don't always know the answer. I said, but you know what? We will refuse to have a victim mentality. We're going to look back and remember, you know what? God delivered her then, and he delivered her then. He's going to deliver her again right now. Because you, you're either going to have you're either going to have a victim mentality, come on, or you're going to have a miracle memory, but you're not going to have both. Your giants will either paralyze you or they'll propel you. They'll either keep you stuck in your track or they'll say, no, 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 I remember what my God did then. I heard a story about what my God did there, and he's going to do the same here again in the future. Come on. The third thing that you need, third thing you need is fixed on your future. So finally Saul consents. He says, okay. He says, David, you can go. He said, if you're so convinced that God is going to deliver you in this moment, fine, go. Because I have yet to find a man who has the confidence that you have. He says, go ahead. But take my armor. And Saul begins to place his, his helmet on him. He begins to put his, his breastplate on him. He begins to equip him with his sword. In fact, the band can come up, and we're going to go back and do it again. And, and he, he gives him his sword, and David begins to walk around and kind of act as though he's Saul with Saul's armor. And he realizes at a certain moment, this isn't mine. Like, this, isn't, this, isn't what, this, isn't what, this isn't how God called me to fight these, these battles. And in verse 39 of 1 Samuel 17, David says these words. He says, I can't go in these. I remember reading this a couple months ago. And, and I'm realizing, God, what is it right now that I've been going in that I can't get to my promised future if I continue to go in these? And there were some, there were some ways of thinking. There were some attitude adjustments. There were some relationships that God began to show me. I can't go in these. You know, what got you here, you ever hear this before? What got you where you're at right now won't get you where you're going in the future. Well, there's some relationships that we got to see. This isn't just for young people. Oftentimes we assume, myself included, that when we find ourselves in a preacher saying something about relationships, we assume that's just for young people. No. I think it's even more so for older people because we get more entrenched and we're more inclined to become complacent in our relationships, in our behavior, in our speech, and even young people are. We can't go in these. There's some good friends, really close friends, who as we're going out on this journey to plant this church, my wife and I started to talk through, and we said, you know what? We love them, but those aren't people that we're going to get to where God's calling us to get to. They're, they're not going to help us get there. We can't go in these. Maybe there's a marriage that you need to fight for. And there's a way that you used to talk to your wife. And God's saying, you can't, you can't talk to her that way if you're going to achieve the promise of a healthy marriage. Maybe there's something that you've been believing God for. I'll never forget a few years back when I started just asking the Lord, Lord, I, I want to go deeper in my relationship with you. I want to know you more personally, more intimately. And you know what God told me? Something that I didn't want him to tell me. He said, I want you to get up. It was exactly one hour earlier every morning than what I was currently getting up. I want you to spend that time with me. I'd love to say that the next morning I got up one hour earlier. I didn't. I set my alarm one hour earlier. It took me about a year to finally get that discipline consistent in my life. Because there are some things we guys say, I can't, I can't go in these. I don't know what that is in your life. But there's some weights, there's some habits, there's some TV shows, there's some binging. Come on, are those things bad? No, not necessarily. But if you want to get to where God's calling you to get to, if you want to get across that ravine, if you want to get through that giant, 
You can't go in these. Henry Varley, who's a, who was a very intimate, close friend of one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century, D.L. Moody, he recorded in his biography of Moody, I was reading it, it's a great book, great story of how God used a great man of God. And Varley records at one point, he told Mr. Moody, he said, you know, it remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up entirely unto him. And Moody replied to Varley without hesitation, Varley records, and he said, well, I will be that man. I will be that man who gives himself up entirely unto him. I will be that man who says, I won't go in these. Lord, if you tell me not to, if you tell me to drop that sword, if you tell me to drop that helmet, if you tell me to drop that breastplate, I won't go in. I won't go in these. The fourth thing that you need is you need purposeful preparation. You know, David not only had confidence in God, but he had confidence in the way that God had uniquely prepared him. Uh, so often we read through the story of David and Goliath and we assume that it was just a great story of, of faith that completed the impossible, which it is. But there's some, there's some context and some facts beneath the surface that we often forget. See, David hailed from the tribe of Benjamin and young men from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin were known to be warriors. In fact, they would they would have from a very young age been preparing for battle. The youngest of any, of any family, youngest boy in any family would have been relegated to be the shepherd. It's, it's the lowliest of jobs. It's not a job that anybody chose, right? Because David didn't choose to be the shepherd, but he did choose to prepare faith while he was the shepherd. And so he's in the field, he's in the pastures, shepherding and caring for his father's sheep. And and while doing so, history would record. In fact, you can do the same study that I did. You can use a really great resource called Google.com and find all this information out for yourself. But, but, but these young shepherd boys, they would have, throughout their days of shepherding the sheep, there's not a whole lot going on out there. There's not a whole lot of exciting moments while shepherding. And they would have been practicing their sling. Not a traditional sling. We think a sling like this, right? But old school sling, pearls like this. So these young boys are practicing this all throughout the day. In fact, it's been said that after several years of practice, a young shepherd boy would hit a target on a tree the size of a quarter from 200 yards away with a stone the size of a tennis ball hurling at speeds between 90 to 150 miles per hour. Can we just imagine that for a second? A tennis ball that weighs the size of a, or that weighs like a stone coming at you 100 miles an hour and it's got precise accuracy. So David, all day long, man, he's just practicing this sling until eventually he got so good. He got so accurate. He's like, this, this isn't even a challenge anymore. So he shows up on the scene, and all of his brothers are terrified of this giant. Why? Because they're trained with spears and swords. Come on, I might be messing with some of your theology right now because you're thinking, David just showed up and he just thought, well, I could beat that giant. And then in our own lives, we think, I could never have that sort of confidence. But David wasn't just confident because he was just arrogant. David was confident because God had been preparing him for years and years. 
And so he says to his brothers, of course I wouldn't go after him with a sword either. So when Saul gives him his sword, David says, no. I don't want to get within three feet of that man. But I don't have to. I can stand over 100 yards away. And so David goes down to his stream, or to the stream rather, and, and the story tells us that he picks five smooth stones. Every detail in the scripture is there on purpose, trying to reveal something to us. David was meticulous in his preparation. I gotta find five smooth stones, not five, not five messed up, jacked up stones. I gotta find five smooth stones. He, he examines them. He, he, he knows what he's looking for. He chooses five. I've heard preachers say this before. You've heard this too, that David chose five smooth stones because Goliath had four older brothers. One for Goliath, four for the other older brothers. I think that's a great preacher's misnomer, but it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. I think David chose five. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see that Goliath had any older brothers. So that's just, that's just preacher's rhetoric. They just made that up. I think David chose five smooth stones because he knew, I, I, I just need five chances. I'll get you with five. I don't get you with the first one. I'll get you with the second. I'll get you with the second. I'll get you with the third. I'll get you with the, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna persist. I'm gonna keep coming at you. I'm gonna keep coming at you. The faith in the story, the miracle in the story, is that God used that first one to take down that giant. Because God uniquely prepared David for an assignment that David didn't even know he was ever gonna have. In our own lives, God is uniquely preparing us, regardless of our age in here, for assignments that we don't even know are coming our way yet. I, I've been preparing to plant a church since I was 19 years old. When I was 19, I felt that God had placed a dream in my heart. I was just talking to a friend last week. I was at an event with a bunch of church planters, and we're all kind of going through this training and being encouraged together. And, and, and every, every conversation that I was in, people were asking, when did you know, how did you know when you were going to plant a church? And, and all these guys said, you know, I never wanted to plant a church. It was never any, I never wanted to be a senior pastor. And, and my story is different. And I think everybody's story is always going to be different. Don't ever try to fit your story into the mold of somebody else's story. And, and I said, you know what, my story is different. I said, when I was 19, I felt that God gave me a vision. And he placed a dream in my heart that someday, whoever I would marry, that together we would plant a church. So I began to prepare since that point, since I was 19. In fact, when I started to date my wife, the first thing I asked her was I said, I said, are you okay if we plant a church? Do you feel that God's going to equip you and has been equipping you to plant a church someday? She said, yeah, I can see that. Okay, that's the, that's the only requirement I have. I said, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you love God, you want to plant a church, let's do this. <laughs> I've been preparing ever since that point. And as I've been going through these years, I can see certain things that God has been doing in my life, certain people that he's been connecting to with me, connecting to me relationally, certain environments that I've been getting into. And I would venture to say that wherever you're at right now, that if you look back on your past, you can see how God uniquely prepared you for some of the things that you're facing right now too. The fifth and the final thing that you need in your life is you need disproportionate faith. You need a disproportionate faith. David shows up and he stands before Goliath. Goliath taunts this young boy one final time. And David reminds the giant, though, he says, you know what, you can taunt me. You can taunt the army. He said, but what you don't know is that this is the Lord's battle. This isn't even my battle. He said, this battle is brought to me I didn't choose this battle, but I am choosing to fight in this battle. But this battle is brought to me by the Lord. And so therefore, this is the Lord's battle. 
Come on, you got to remind not only your giants, but you got to remind yourself sometime. Come on, where I'm at right now is I look at myself in the mirror so often, almost every single morning, I say, this is the Lord's battle today. I don't know what's going to come my way, but this is the Lord's battle today. You got to remind yourself, young people. You got to remind yourself, old people. You got to remind yourself, wherever you're at, whatever battle you may face, that this is God. This is the Lord's. Last fall, I'm reading this, this book, and, and in it was this prayer. I don't remember anything else in this book, but I remember this prayer. And I wrote this prayer down in my journal. I've been praying this prayer ever since. And it said, Lord, use me in such a way that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. I thought, I want that to be the prayer and the cry of my heart and of the heart of my family. Use me, God, in such a way that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for your past. That's my prayer for you. That God would use you all in such a way that is utterly disproportionate to who you are and what you could do on your own. Okay, so let's, let's pull this all together here real quick, and then we're going to close this out. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 10, David shows up. And I'm sorry, Goliath shows up. He says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. Then I'm reading Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And Paul is preaching, and he's preaching about David. And Paul says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do everything that I want him to do. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10, catch this. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David. Did you know that there are battles and giants all over this region and all over your lives who are saying, Send me a man, send me a woman who will fight. And God is looking for individuals that he can say, I have found, fill in the blank. They'll do anything I want them to do. They have a heart that's for me. Go now and fight. I, I believe, I believe that, that God has raised up even a young man here to take over for his father to continue to fight the giants in this region, in this city. But I don't believe that God is just raising up pastors to fight battles. Come on, God is raising up individuals all across this region saying, I have found, but, but the choice is ours, is it not? To say, yeah, yeah, God, God, here I am, send me. You know what's funny is I was sharing with some friends that this journey has been pre pretty intense, that we've been fighting some battles that, I knew that there were going to be some battles that we need to face, but I didn't realize that they were going to be quite as challenging as some of the battles that we're facing right now. I didn't realize that some of the battles that my kids would have to go through as a result of the decisions that my wife and I are making to plant a church, I didn't know that all that was coming. I didn't see all that coming. But I was praying this prayer last September, September 2017. I'm reading it for the first time, and I, pray, I, said, I said, God, I see what you're saying here. I want you to use me in a way that's utterly disproportionate to who I am. And, and it was at the same morning, it's the same time that God began to show me this Acts 13, 22, where God said, I found, I found, I found David. I found David. 
And I'm going to place David in front of this, this giant right here at this, in this valley. And it's going to be... It's going to be the thing that propels him, not paralyzes him, but propels him to the rest of the destiny that I placed upon him. And I said, okay, God, I said, I see what you're saying here. And, 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 I, and I realized in that moment that I was, I wanted to pray, a pr- I wanted to ask God, God, send me. There are some giants in Columbus that you're looking for somebody to face, that you're looking for somebody to fight. Send me. And I knew, I knew the consequences of that prayer were going to be some of the things that I'm facing right now. I just didn't know they were going to be quite as challenging as what they are. But I wouldn't turn back for anything. And I have a feeling that you wouldn't either. This is a faith church. So I want to, I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head in here. There are some battles the Lord is wanting you to face. And there is victory on the other side of that battle. Because the promises of God are always yes and amen. But even in the midst of those battles, any battle that you face is still going to be a challenge. We can rest and rely and trust in the Lord. Greater is He that is in me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because I know that you're with me. So I want to ask you right now, wherever you're at, maybe there's, maybe there's a battle that you're facing right now and you've been tempted to give up and you want to make a decision on this morning. There's going to be a resolve in your heart. You say, no, no, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to face that battle again. Maybe it's something involving your children or your marriage or your job. No, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to face that battle again. I'm going to pray that prayer again. I'm going to trust the Lord again. I'm going to get up again. I'm going to run again. I'm going to see the Lord's faithfulness proven faithful in my life again. Or maybe you're in here this morning and you say, man, you know what? Everything's going pretty good, but I want the Lord to use me. If there's some battles that, 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 that others have been saying no to, there's some battles that others have been running from, if the Lord's been trying to move on some other believers, some other Christians' hearts, and they've been saying, no, I don't know, that's too difficult. I don't want to face that battle. And you're in here this morning. You say, you know what, God? Use me. Put me wherever you may need me. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. God, use me in such a way that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Jesus. Jesus. Holy Spirit, reveal in this place whatever needs to be revealed, reveal whatever battles need to be faced, reveal whatever dreams may have been given up on, reveal whatever hope has been lost. Our faith and our hope rest not in our strength or in our own faith, but in the one who has the ultimate answer to the demand of the giant. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus. I declare right now that your word be sealed in the hearts of every single person. In Jesus' name. Can we sing this out together as a declaration of what we believe? Can we trust that God's going to do it again? Can we stand to our feet one last time this morning, church? Can we lift up our voices? Can we open up our mouth? Can we raise up our hands?
Can we begin to declare that God's going to do it again? Come on, let's worship him. Jesus. Yeah. Hey. And I believe. I see you do it again. Yeah. When there was no way. Yeah. Come on, can we lift up our voices right now? Come on, let's lift up some thanksgiving to God today. Come on. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, did you guys get something today? Oh, let me ask this for a second. Um, 
Pastor Jordan, could you come back up here? Um, can we just lift our hands towards Pastor Jordan for a second? Um, he shared a little bit uh, with you guys, but there's a lot of new challenges he's facing and uh, for his health, for his strength, for his new church, for finances, for people, for all those things. Now, see, I didn't have to face those things. I faced other issues, but I came into this with people and finances. And so we, like he said, everybody's story is different. We all have different battles. But can we pray for him today as a church family? And I feel this strongly uh, that, that you would know. I'm sorry. That you would know you have a church here in New Albany who's not just going to give to you, but we're going to pray for you and pray for your church and pray for your family. Come on, can we do that, church? And we're not just going to pray for him today, we're going to continue to pray. Because we know that the root of all those issues, it's a spiritual thing. And it's a spiritual fight. And so not only are we going to do the natural things like give, but Father, we're going we're gonna to pray. Father, we just thank you for Pastor Jordan. Come on. Can we lift our hands and lift our faith right now? Father, we, we pray for Pastor Jordan. We pray for his health. Pray for strength for him, for his family. Father, we thank you for open doors in the city of Columbus. We thank you, Father God, for the right building, the right people, the right place, the right plan. Father, we thank you for finances and resources to supernaturally come to him and to their church. And, Father, all the money they need to raise will come in at the right time and in the right place. That, Father, you give them the right people to join their church. You send the right leaders to help them out. And, Father, we just thank you for strength for him today. We thank you for your presence on him and moving through him. And, Father, we thank you for all you're going to do in his life and in Ethos Church and in his family. Father, we thank you. We pray for his family right now. We thank you, Father, for strength for them. We thank you, Father God, for supernatural uh, protection over them and over him. And we thank you for all you're going to do in their church and through them. And we agree today as a church family, Father God, that this church plant in September will go exceedingly abundantly above all they can think or imagine or plan. Father, it will supersede all their expectations. And Father, Rich has got to keep growing and go from faith to faith and from glory to glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You guys could be seated for a second here.